Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Friday, August 30th, and this is episode 12 of the Marty Called podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by the biggest Mary Poppins fan I know, Skipper Ben. Cheerio, Ben. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to go by the name my parents gave me, Al Lutz, from now on. That'll work, too. That'll cool. Work too. And the biggest Moana fan I know, the Sultan of Saki. What's up, Josh? In honor of the Play Pavilion, I'm recording tonight without pants. <laughs> Good work. Good work. So this is our second show in uh, less than a month, which is some sort of record for us. Yes. Ah. Uh, this is obviously on the heels of the D23 Expo, uh, on the heels of my visiting Star Wars Galaxy's Edge out in Disneyland. But I think uh, the primary focus today is going to be on the D23 Expo. Uh, we said last show that we were going to call for questions. We didn't. So sorry. Really not sorry. But uh, there's enough to talk about regarding Epcot and a little bit on the uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge as well. So I'm going to hit on that quickly because I don't want to totally repeat what I said over on uh, E-Ticket Report, which came out the day before, not to plug that. Some interesting things that I learned here. I was told, and I don't even want to say take this with a grain of salt because I think there is a significant element of truth here. And I don't know that you guys know this either. We assumed that the thought to put Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in the new trilogy was a mandate from above. I think we were all under that operation Mm -hmm. or under that impression. Uh, My understanding is that is not the case, that this was a creative decision by Scott Trowbridge. Well, that's which I thought was very interesting. It's interesting to me again, you know, just for those who don't know, I'm not a huge star Wars fan, but regardless of the decision itself, it gives me, I, I like hearing that there's the creative freedom within that organization to do something like that, because I think that's how you, attract and retain the best creative minds. Um, you know, these people don't want to be managed. They want to, they want to produce art. So I think that's a good sign if that's true. Well, and no, now we know the, uh, right. n- now we know who the one person was that saw solo too. Right. Also <laughs> true. Uh, he was getting the grosses up on that film, but yeah, the implication of that is if this land is ultimately deemed a failure and having visited it, I'd say that the land is about 60% of a land right now. Without Rise of the Resistance, without the entertainment that may or may not be coming, Rise of the Resistance could very well make up that remaining 40%. But if the land is ultimately deemed a failure, and there is admittedly some struggling going on in that land, uh, at least out in Disneyland, if somebody's going to be to blame, you've got to look at at least the creative lead as one of them. And there is certainly precedent for firing higher ups at Imagineering for failed projects. Bruce Vaughn is an example excuse me for next gen and Scott. I loved him in dodgeball, by the way. It's true. He was great (laughs) in dodgeball, great at improvising, but not so much as a uh, Imagineer. Um, But Scott Trowbridge has a pretty darn good resume with islands of adventure. The bulk of that on his, uh, on his resume and the land looks beautiful, uh, has some very good components, but if it didn't move the needle to the extent that Disneyland wanted, in fact, it moved it in the other direction. uh, There needs to be some level of culpability there. So, if Rise of the Resistance opens and it fixes all these problems, then his job is safe. But if it doesn't, I would say that a major Imagineer could potentially be seeing the door and working over at Epic Universe. Before, well, Let me ask you a question. Yeah. If, if the decision to base the, the land on the, the films that it's based on was made by the creative department, who made the decision to open the land with it half-cocked, with the, with the Hallmark attraction not available? So that very well may have just been a function of the complexity of that ride. So Rise of the Resistance, by all accounts, combines a trackless vehicle with the Star Tours motion platform with a Tower of Terror drop sequence. So 
I think the ambition related to the ride, and I, I use the same phraseology on e-ticket report, is the if they pull it off, it will be great. Um, I think they're looking at the delays with that. There needs to be some level of uh, culpability on the Imagineers that created it as well. So I think so, it was I think it was out of necessity as opposed to a decision on the split opening. But I'll play the devil's advocate on that, and I, I think there's two things that are worth discussing. The first is that while I hear what you're saying, if we're going to acknowledge that the land is half baked at this point, then you can't meaningfully measure oh, what it is as an overall product. Um, the other thing is that, and I've said this before, it, it's we're a little bit. <laughs> it's almost like a Goldilocks problem where we're, we're unpleasable as fans because on the sure. one hand we want them to innovate and we also want the rides to be fully functional on day one. Right. And you can't, it, you can look at the history like universal Orlando. I've been watching some videos this week about that with jaws and confrontation. Um, you know, the overwhelming majority of the attractions that they had on opening day didn't function properly. and took months to iron out at, because a lot of them were new concepts. Right. So this is sort of one of the things that comes with the territory. And if they ultimately do get them fixed, then I'm all for it. I'm right. let's no, endure I'm the growing pain so that we, you know, progress further because then the next ride that comes out that uses these technologies will, will go more smoothly and the cutting edge will be something even more awesome that we haven't thought of yet. And we discussed this in the sense that, all right, if you're going to invent and create new concepts and new ideas, uh, you do, you do need to be willing to swing and miss. And yep. without that, I mean, something that kind of gets me a, a little bit of flack from Epcot fans is people say that getting rid of Horizons was a mistake. And yes, in hindsight, it was. But at the time, the the motivation of getting rid of Horizons was this innovative new ride system that was going to be groundbreaking and revolutionary. And they didn't pull it off with Mission Space. It was they they reached for the moon and failed. But there was at least the um, the drive there to do something better. It wasn't replacing something with an intellectual property. It wasn't the, the problems that we kind of see facing a lot of the decision making today. It was looking to upgrade what was at the time a, sta- a stale attraction. And uh, the end result is what uh, followed was not as good as what preceded it. But in hindsight, in the moment, in the time that that was closed out, I think people were looking forward to Mission Space. Uh, as opposed to Horizons 2.0. It's only after Mission Space failed that people were looking at it otherwise. Yeah, I think that's accurate. So with this, if Rise of the Resistance is as uh, great an attraction as it looks like it's going to be, and we fast forward 20 years down the road, the botched opening, the split opening doesn't matter. Right. It solves the problem. Uh, It's all good, and we have a great ride and a great supporting ride. The problem here is... You have a fun ride in Smuggler's Run. It's an interactive Star Tours, um, but it's not enough to anchor a brand new $1 billion, 14-acre land. And that's where I think it's getting a bad rap. And to our point that we've made the last five episodes, that if they open both simultaneously, if they're able to, Smuggler's Run wouldn't get the crap that it's been getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right. Because it would be the supporting attraction in the land. I mean, it's, the, it's the side order of macaroni and cheese to the filet mignon. It's just, you didn't get the steak. Right, right. You know, it's not a whole meal. And I, I but, and that's why I think the strategy was poor. I don't know what, agen- I don't know what objective they were trying to uh, achieve. I think they were forced into it. That's by whom, though? But, but I, I, I think they wanted to have an, a, a ride open. And I think they, presumably management made the decision 
but that's what I'm saying. They weren't forced if they made that. They chose. That, 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 okay, it's fair that they weren't forced. I think I think management forced the decision, and right. uh, I would assume that let's let's assume that my premise is correct that Scott Trowbridge is on the chopping block as a result of some of these failures. Mm-hmm. His defense would be: this is a marketing thing. This is a management thing. Yes. If I'm, if I'm Trowbridge, my defense is you opened it before it was done. Right. I'm, I'm right. getting yeah. graded on my paper before I got a chance to exactly. turn in the final draft. It's not, you know, so. Well, that's, I, I, I'm finding it a bit interesting because, uh, I, you know, we, based on what we saw online from the reactions from the previews and, and what happened at Disneyland and stuff, I, I'm starting to get the sense that, uh, I, I don't know how much I trust a lot of those early reactions because now I'm starting to, talk to people who have been that aren't necessarily bloggers who like to throw stuff out on a, uh, on Twitter to get a reaction. Mm-hmm. I, I'm getting a lot more, uh, people that I work with coworkers that are coming back from trips. Uh, you know, people that I trust that don't have any kind of agenda, they're coming back and they're genuinely saying how much fun they've had in the area, how much fun they've had on uh, smugglers run. Uh, and even me sitting there quizzing them going, where did you sit? How was your, you know, the stuff that we heard so many negative things about from the blogging uh, community and the, in the media from the get go, but for your net, you know, you're just your average guest, your average fan, even the guys who have, you know, the, I had a coworker today that I talked to. He's like, yeah, I sat in the engineering seat. How was your view? Oh, I, I didn't even think about it. I just had fun fun. pushing the buttons and, and being part of the story. That's given me a whole lot more faith in uh, the area for me to, you know, go and judge and pass judgment for myself. But the other thing that's given me a lot more faith and granted, this could just be movie magic, but the, the few seconds that we saw of inside rise of the resistance that they showed at the D 23 expo, if it's anything like what we saw uh, from, from that small glimpse I think we do have that major, major home run traction on our hands that that's going to change the, you know, what everybody's saying about this section of the parks. It looks like some components of that were enhanced. Yeah, uh, I think the biggest thing would be the explosion component of it. I, I, I agree. Think, I think there is quite a bit of other aspects of that where it is absolutely epic in scale. And that's what you want to see in an e-ticket. Yep. And there's going to be stormtroopers shooting at you. There's going to be at ats shooting at you. You're well, that, 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 that scene with the laser like cutting through the ceiling. Yeah, that looks, looks super awesome to me. If, super cool. If that is you know seventy percent of what they showed in there, uh, yep. that's an amazing, amazing effect. Yep. And when you look at some of the explosions, honestly, some of that stuff is just it, it simply could be a small firework effect with a sound effect that goes along with it to make it seem that much bigger. Like it, it didn't look. Uh, it didn't look like something that they couldn't pull off if they really tried to. Uh, it wasn't that over the top. We, uh, somebody did a great job. I, I don't know why I didn't think about this from the get-go. I seemed like I watched that clip over and over and over, but somebody did slow it down at 50% speed so you can see it a lot, you know, see a lot more of it for a longer period of time. And when you do that, breaking down those effects in that at-at room, uh, it, it does seem like some of those explosion effects actually could get pulled off. Yeah. I mean, there are ways to do it. We've seen it in other attractions where you have fire effects, you have spark effects. That's all doable in some way, shape or form. Um, The thing that intrigued me and I'll uh, cite Hyperspace Mountain. Ben, have you done that yet? I have not done Hyperspace Mountain. So uh, on Hyperspace Mountain, towards the end of it, there's a there's the dogfight that you kind of anticipate in an attraction like that. And what they do, rather than have like the beams of light, they just have uh, red lights on the left and right of the track. And it looks like in, in this, you're going to have those kind of true blaster beams of light somewhere in here. Yeah. And that 
that in itself, it seems like a minor difference, but it's it's a huge difference in the in the grand scheme of things. So I hope that that's the case that they can pull off those types of effects. Well, there was a there was a patent released or not released, but a, a patent that was surfaced a few weeks ago that uh, dealt with a you know uh, you know the crazy wording they use in patents like a method and apparatus for producing an effect that looks like a beam of light or a plug of light or a ball yeah. of light, which is what. You know, and that's one of the interesting things about all the laser effects that you see uh, in the Star Wars franchise and in a lot of other, you know, space battle franchises. That that's not how light works. You don't get a three foot long uh, piece sure. of light coming out of something. Um, so to be able to produce something that gives that impression, I think, would have a very strong impact on an audience. Just because by by the laws of physics, you've never seen it anywhere else. You saw it first in the movies, and the second place you see it is in this attraction. That's going to be an amazing completely an absolute unique experience. And I think that would be pretty awesome. And the, the other thing that I saw in that deal that, that I think is pretty interesting that I know we've talked about in the past, you know, they've pushed the idea that they're building some of the largest show scenes ever for an attraction. But with that one scene where it's Kylo Ren's lightsaber piercing through the roof of the, the, the vehicle that you're in, the it looks like we're going to have those intimate moments as well. And really you can get a lot more, uh, uh, you can get a lot more fearful reaction in those scenes where things are happening so close and so tight to you. Uh, so it'll be interesting if it's a, if it's a nice mixture of those hallways scenes that we're going down in the jail cell that we're in, not everything has to be big and grandiose. It can have that small intimate feeling and pull off some really cool effects like that. I think you can get the epic scale of a scene, like looking out the uh, view of the star destroyer, but also combine it with a, uh, a more intimate scene and I think of uh, Indiana Jones Adventure, where uh, Tony Baxter fought to have one giant snake, because when you're watching the movie, you you get scared by being face-to-face with a snake. So even in the context of the ride, it's it's gigantic, but it gives you the effect of the scare. And I would imagine that if we come face-to-face with Kylo Ren, he may be disproportionately large uh, hmm. relative to what he might be. And again, we don't know any of this, but uh, to to satisfy that level of both big grand moments, but also intimate, equally as scary moments uh, will be certainly interesting to see how all of that is pulled off. Um, I want to hit on a few technical things on Smuggler's Run that, uh, that I learned. Um, so beyond just the review of the ride, it is a fun ride. Uh, when I say it's like Star Tours, I like Star Tours. Star Tours is a very uh, yeah. executed attraction. Uh, for me, I call it a solid D ticket. Uh, the variability of Star Tours is uh, is a benefit to this. And I think um, my understanding is Smuggler's Run originally had five missions, then three, and now one. And it will ultimately be hurt if they stick with one for too long. It needs additional missions. But that one mission, uh, as you know, the first time riding it, the first few times riding it is certainly fun. What they've done from an operational standpoint for people that aren't familiar with how this is laid out, there are four different turntables that you load into and it's pretty much seamless. You don't know that you're getting into a turntable. Uh, it is purely done for capacity purposes. So uh, each turntable has seven different cockpits in it. There are also two additional ones that are uh, allow for additional loading for people that uh, have wheelchairs or something like that. So they have a total of 30 cockpits to load into. Uh, my understanding is that they all load out of uh, one of two identical uh, holding areas where they have the hollow chests room and they basically use the rotation of the room 
uh, of, of sorry of the uh, turntable to put you and lock you into various places. So uh, they'll lock, load, and unload, and then kind of click over one spot, and you won't notice the actual motion of the turntable. It's just purely for throughput. I think that's awesome. That's the kind of innovation we need if the park's going to continue to serve an increasingly large audience. Right, exactly. So uh, when Bob Chapik came out and announced 1,800 rides, hour i did the quick math came up with 48 second dispatches uh they're doing 47 second dispatches that's the goal (laughs) the the problem is they don't always have all of the cockpits running the ride has never fully gone down but regularly has a handful of the 30 cockpits not operational but they're still hitting anywhere between 1700 and 1750 per hour in disneyland which for a new e-ticket uh in recent disney history is actually pretty darn good like I have to. I was gonna say I have to suspect that the majority of issues are having at this point are software based, Probably. which, which in the grand scheme of things are infinitely more fixable than fundamental defects in the hardware design. Like Yeti would be an example of that. You, you know, with hardware, there's a potential that this thing's just not going to get fixed. But if it's a problem with code, it'll probably get worked out. So I think that's reason to be optimistic. So we look at operational things in here as well as kind of the creative side of things. And Flight of Passage, in their pre-show, they built in additional time for the uh, uh, Emmy Award-winning actor to uh, to continue his spiel in the pre-show. And it's, if you've listened to it, it's somewhat painful, but they have things that they can plug in and manually extend the length of that pre-show so that you're not totally bored waiting for them to load or unload the attraction. So with Smuggler's Run, they have a similar aspect in it where if at load and unload, somebody is taking longer than necessary, uh, there's going to be five uh, cockpits that are in the ride, one at load, one at unload, any given timetable. And whatever the length of this particular scene is, there's a scene that they can add right before the end where you go through an asteroid field. And let's say it's a 10, 15 second scene. They can do that if they know that they've at least caused an additional 15 seconds of load time. They basically give the five that are in the ride that additional scene and they can do that manually. So in essence, as as capacity goes down, the, the ride experience gets longer. So exactly. That's pretty neat. I mean, that's that's something that, as far as I know, we've never had before, unless you consider like sitting in a roller coaster, you know, one train behind the unload station to, to be the same thing, which I, I wouldn't. Right. That's the closest come. So yeah. it's, it's on a screen based attraction. They've effectively lengthened the ride on an as needed basis. And if you're in any of those ADA capsules, I think you get that by default. So that was one component that I was told. And initially, there was an expectation that perhaps you get that scene by proceeding through the previous, you know, th- three some odd minutes more efficiently, but no, it is 100% manual input from the cast members. And there's another component here too, where depending on how well you do, uh, I think the learning curve for how well you do and the effect that it has is pretty darn steep. But when you go into the final scene, uh, Chewie takes over, um, but he takes over a little bit too late, and for the most part, you're going to hit a spire when you go back into Batu, um, So you get that little rumble in the, um, in the cockpit. But if you are doing well enough uh, from a navigation standpoint up to that point, then the pilots can still control it. And then and only then can you avoid that particular spire, which again, I thought was pretty interesting that they've got things like that for like, it's a minor thing. It doesn't really disrupt the attraction or take away from it for those that can't do it. But it's something that if you've been on it 25 times, you may be able to actually get it. So it's a slightly different 
uh, right. slightly different change. So things like that I thought were interesting. The true variability is minor. Even if you don't touch anything, you're just going to run into things and and only going to the difference is one or two vials of coaxium that you can get. That's really the only end result difference. Go ahead. Uh, uh, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask, as you're going through the ride, you know, for that immersive experience of you actually getting on the Millennium Falcon and being being part of a group that's going to fly that, what's what's the experience like for a guest from like the pre-show area where Hondo uh, is speaking to you to then boarding the Millennium Falcon, then to getting in the cockpit? Like, how large are the groups that you're moving through with? Does it feel like you're, uh, you know, just like cattle getting pushed through this no, thing or no, do, no. Do, they, do they divide it out pretty well and keep it relatively small through each space? So you get to your smaller group of six right before you go into that holding area. And you're not in that holding area very long. By that I mean the area that has the hollow chest room. Um, I kind of expected that I'd be in that room for five to ten minutes and you're not. I'd say two to three minutes tops. So oh, wow. they generally only have three groups in there at the most. So okay. they're cranking people through there. So unless they've got cockpits that are down they're pulling a group out of there every 45 seconds or 47 seconds effectively. Cool. Um, And actually it may even be more efficient than that because I believe they're loading two different turntables simultaneously. So it's probably every 25 seconds or so. Oh, wow. Uh, So they're, they're getting you through there very, very quickly. Now this is also running without fast pass, uh, which even though technically it doesn't affect the operational throughput of an attraction, it can hurt efficiency, especially yeah. on something like this when you're trying to load six people every across the four across the four different turntables. You're effectively loading six people every twelve seconds, which is is quick. And if you're merging people, that that takes a little bit of effort. So um, I can see potential throughput drop offs with FastPass, but. Go- Going back to what you said about the the rumor that your performance would determine the ride length to some degree, yes. that wouldn't make sense to me because no. that different performing capsules on a single turntable would mean that you have different finishing times. So the, the, what what operations is going to want is predictability. The last thing in the world right. they would want is having two adjacent, one doing really well and, and ending soon and the other one doing really poorly and taking an extra long time. That would be an operational disaster. So it's a um, really it's a point that shouldn't be understated because they want the seven different cockpits to have the exact same ride length. They may have a slightly different ride experience. But it's, it reminds me very much of what Horizons used to have, the, the conclusion yeah. where you could pick your ending. And you know they just synced everything so that you could have completely different experiences but have so much of the ride be exactly the same. Um, you know That's where the creative and operational minds have to meld together. But sure. yeah, I, I, I'm quite sure that this is a deterministic ride length for all of these. Oh, it, abs- it absolutely is. And the only factor would be uh, user error getting in and out. Um, anything that would extend right. it. And what I was suggesting before, or at least what I had initially thought before, was that you could progress through the story quicker. Not necessarily a longer story, but that you could progress through the obstacles of the story quicker to, uh, if you do so, and say you could uh, create an additional 10 seconds of space, then you get that additional scene, but that's not what happens. It is 100% right. input from the cast members. And I don't believe that was something that has really been discussed. Now, if um, that 10 seconds gets inserted for anyone on the turntable, does that mean everyone on the turntable would get it? That's my understanding, or at least that would, those that, that are currently. Sense to me. Right. So the other component here, uh, Ben hit on it is that there's three different positions. There's uh, pilot gunner and engineer. 
And for me, I did pilot the first time around. I was the left pilot, so I controlled left and right. And I've been told that that is better than uh, controlling uh, up and down. We call those roll and pitch. Nope. I'm going to call them left and right and uppy and downy. I <laughs> was, cookie hand. <laughs> I, w- I was right gunner and right engineer. And I would say I actually like the engineer position better. The main reason being is that the gunner, uh, if you don't select the manual mode where you can choose uh, to aim high, medium, or low with your, uh, uh, with your weapon, you're basically a button masher. You're just hitting the same button over and over again with the exception of, I think, one other button that you get to press in the game. Whereas in the engineer, you've got a couple of switches that light up. You've got some buttons that you got to press. Um, but the bigger takeaway from the gunner and uh, engineer position is that's where you that's where the cockpit earns points. Pilot is generally where they lose points. So if you're sure. trying to get a high score, you need a good uh, you, you need a good pilot so that your gunners are actually firing at something. Uh, your ammunition also counts too. So there's like if you just hold down the button, it will rapid fire, but you won't be as efficient and therefore won't get as many points. Right. But the engineer. Uh, there's a bunch of switches that you can toggle. And if you keep your ship at hundred percent, your point total is going to be higher. So there is a level of interactivity here. I could see that, you know, on the 10th ride, some of those positions get a little bit more stale, but the first ride, I think there's enough value with all three positions. Um, whether that holds true on ride 10, I've yet to experience that. I did, did each you, position once. Did you have the same exit experience each time? Did you damage the uh, Falcon I, enough to... So I did pretty well each time. There was one where it was uh, sparky, but we actually did we actually did pretty well each time. So I don't think I got the true uh, you've effed up the Falcon uh, experience. So if I'm on with like friends or family and I want to just kind of play that out and see how it goes, I think there are more extreme versions of the exit area. But it was it was definitely a fun experience. But I'd say like Star Tours, once the newness factor has worn off. It's probably not something that I would do every trip into Hollywood studios. It's not, it's not tower of terror, but by calling it a D ticket, I think that's kind of the definition of a D ticket. It's a ride that you really like, but you're not heartbroken if you don't do it every time. Well, until they open more rides at Hollywood studios, you do have to ride it. That is every time. So, well, for me, I mean, to some, see, I, I haven't ridden it, but I, I'm very good friends with Gary. Who's ridden it a bunch. And I, he and I play video games a lot. So, and I, I I was thinking about how many hours we've spent playing something like Grand Theft Auto, mm-hmm. where where in a, a lot of time in that game we spend flying in an airplane where one of us is the pilot and one of us is shooting. So there's there's some parallel there, and it's infinitely variable, you yeah. know. And without having experienced that ride, and with everyone I know that's ridden it only having ridden it a handful of times, what I think remains to be seen is is it a handful of experiences like Star Tours is. Or is it something that is truly dramatically uh, variable based on performance? And it seems to me, based on what I've heard so far, and I could be wrong, correct me if you, if you think I am, mm-hmm. it seems to me that it's somewhat constrained as to what the, what the outcomes are going to be. So there are going to be story beats that, at least in the three rides that I went on, that are going to happen this time. The difference is your success rate of getting that second thing of coaxium, I think, uh, if you crash into everything, if you're if you don't shoot anything, if you don't fix anything, you are going to get one. And there are other ways where you can do a lot of things right and still only get one. But but the both both times I wrote it, people were trying to succeed in it, and we got two both times without really much issue. Your 
the second thing you're supposed to get, you're positioning yourself behind a train. And as long as you're positioned behind the train and everybody is shooting at what they're supposed to shoot at, you're probably going to get the second one. There's and, trains in space? Yes, there are. Man, uh, I learn something every day. Space trains. I feel that that's <laughs> nice. a Nicolas Cage movie. That uh, sounds like but, Sharknado like sequel for sure. Yes, yes. But na- now that we know the roles that you and Gary play playing Grand Theft Auto, one flying and one shooting when you're in the plane, we really want to know what you guys, what are y'all's roles when you hit the strip club in Grand Theft Auto? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've actually, who's, who's doing? we figured out how to dance in the game last night. So we, we're going to be <laughs> dropping a whole lot of videos. <laughs> in the coming days stay tuned for that <laughs> you don't need to say wdw kingdom cast after dark you can just say wdw kingdom cast <laughs> it's always dark there the fam- family family episode yep. yeah gary and i were grinding on somebody so hard the other day that we almost set them on fire <laughs> <laughs> how is ron doing by the way <laughs> good times why don't we uh, move away from galaxy's edge unless you guys have any other comments on it i think we can probably move on to epcot and d23 do you guys have anything else on Galaxy's Edge? How was the blue milk? Uh, mediocre. Blue milk was better than green milk. Neither were good. Neither would be ordered again unless uh, I was buying it for somebody that wanted to try it. You know, my theory on that is that it's blue milk. <laughs> the uh, mistake that I made, actually, the, since you asked. So I got the frozen version at the milk stand of both of them, and it was $7.99 each for what looked like a six to eight ounce cup. And then I went into Ogus Cantina and ordered the, I think I think it was called the Blue Bantha, not knowing that it was the unfrozen version of it. So I uh, I did get fooled twice, um, but at least I spent fourteen bucks for a cookie. So <laughs> actually, to that to that point though, their uh, Ronto Roasters, Docking Bay Seven, and Ogus Cantina have other drinks that aren't blue milk that I enjoyed. So the the three other drinks that I tried, and I can't remember the names of any of them, uh, were all better than the blue and green milk. So. Try the other drinks in the land. You may like them. I do really want to try a Ronto wrap. I think those actually look really good. It was good. It was uh, basically a, a decent hot dog and like a hero wrap. Yeah. The, the complaint, though, is it's messy and they don't give you a basket or a plate. They just give you a piece of tissue paper to absorb the juices that come out of it. That's um, strange. I, I didn't hear anybody bitching about that on Twitter. Nope. No, not anybody. <laughs> follow me. <laughs> I think the pro move for the blue milk is that they should have gone more for a dessert or something. I, yeah, I think yeah. there's a cognitive dissonance of making a citrusy type drink that, you know, doesn't match the color that it is. And I, I think that's going to, I don't know if that goes away. It will anybody, be a blue, it'll be a blue raspberry icy before long. Would anybody complain yeah. if it was like a, a vanilla milkshake that was dyed blue? Nope. Like, no, I would, I would, <laughs> that'd be fine. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the easiest solution. And then you'd go with like a, um, a shamrock shape shake for the green milk. I mean, it, it, this wasn't, yep. this wasn't that difficult a concept to put together, make it look cool and yep. make it taste good. Yeah. And don't worry too much about it. You know, connecting those things in a way because people don't like to eat things that taste crap crappy. I think the, the one argument against that is the, do you want a milk based product when it's 95 degrees out? No. So, I can see not actually doing a milk-based product, but what milk was a bad choice. choice. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on to Epcot. So uh, the weekend before we were recording this, uh, Disney had their biennial. Is that the correct term? Every other year, D23 Expo. You got it. They focused on Epcot, uh, the large part of this presentation, at least the part that wasn't focused on Target, which in itself was dumb. 
So going into this, uh, every blogger worth their salt decided to say that, all right, uh, Brazil's definitely getting announced. Imagination's probably going to happen. Uh, Coco's going to happen. All those things are going to happen. And none of it did. Uh, leading up to it, I actually thought there was a 50-50 chance for both Brazil and Ima- uh, Imagination. I actually fe- felt it was going to be one or the other. But um, when it comes down to it, if neither are ready, then neither are ready. And I think the full... Uh, build out of the new Epcot is probably going to take until 2025. Uh, Tim, it's not, it's not 2022 yet. The stuff's going to get announced in 2022. That's pretty obvious. That's, that's fair. I think that's, I think uh, (laughs) one of those is going to be pushed, pushed aside, but every timetable I've seen for imagination is that it's like 2023 to 2025 timeframe. And I imagine with the political climate in Brazil, that's probably bouncing around as well. Although I did uh, say on e-ticket report, I don't know how many of your average Walt Disney World guests understands what's going on in their own country, let alone uh, let alone in a foreign country. But yep. yeah, either way, uh, there were there were some announcements on aesthetics and operations and some of the things that we actually called for. So we had said in our many Epcot discussions that we want to see some unifying themes here. And they, it looked like there was an attempt there. Uh, it didn't really change any, uh, any attractions by doing so, but they at least grouped things together. And they did that uh, by eliminating the name of Future World and grouping together uh, the seas and the land into a, a single neighborhood, as they dub it, called World Nature. They grouped Spaceship Earth, Imagination, and the Odyssey and kind of the center part of Future World as World Celebration. And they grouped the eastern part of Future World, uh, which is Test Track, the new Guardians ride, and Mission Space as World Discovery. So that was kind of the big takeaway that they've eliminated the concept of Future World. Um, There's a couple of other smaller announcements as well. Uh, They announced a Mary Poppins attraction for the United Kingdom. I nailed that. I nailed it. (laughs) Proud of you. They did not use the word ride, and I would not be shocked if it is not a ride. Uh, they announced a walkthrough uh, attraction inspired by Moana, um, which appears to be uh, a lot of rock work, a lot of water. Uh, it's called Journey of Water. Uh, and to me, yeah, it, we're going to have to spend some time talking about names on this episode. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we can. But that to me looked a little bit like the Oasis exhibits at the Animal Kingdom. And while I think without animals, it's uh, might be lacking there. One of the things that uh, Epcot Center did play up is just kids' ability to play with water outside the Imagination Pavilion and outside the Seas Pavilion. So if this is an extension of that, uh, it kind of is in that same vein. But tying it to Moana was probably a uh, appeasement to the uh, to the to the board of directors. The the concept art absolutely looks like it's related to the aesthetic that's in front of Imagination. You can almost see the yeah. laminar fountains and things. So I think it I think it is really in keeping with their relabeling of things and expanding instead of just focusing on individual pavilions pavilions so much into broader areas, Mm -hmm. you can understand how if these fountains are something they wanted to keep, it does tie together. If those exist in everywhere within the world nature section of the park, you know, to to try and create some unifying visual things to let people, to give people cues as to where they are. So uh, the distinction there is imagination is not actually in the world nature section of the park. It is in world celebration. Really? The journey of water area is going to basically connect. It looks like roughly where the art of uh, art of Disney is now to the seas. So it's going to be a pathway that kind of extends there on that 
uh, part of the kidney bean shaped um, interventions building. So that building is going away entirely. And the uh, there's a new event pavilion, which they haven't named yet. They've just called it the new pavilion, but they- I'm excited about this one. They, they've said that this is a, uh, this is going to be for the various festivals that they have throughout the year. Uh, they teased a Spaceship Earth update, which uh, has some people panicked, some people cautiously optimistic. And then they gave us the name for the permanent um, Epcot fireworks show, and that's Harmonious. So I think I hit all of the news items for Epcot, but I'm sure it's you not Harmonious. It's Harmony Us. Us, yes, yes. <laughs> Harmony Us, with the emphasis on the us. Because they couldn't just call it uh, Fantasmic 2. If, so, it suck, if it sucks, it's going to be Harmony Ass. Good, good one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> yes. So, Josh, I know you have some thoughts on these things. I don't know where you guys want to start. Ben, I'm sure you do as well. You saw it all. What was your takeaway outside of the room? I want to start with the general and move toward the specific. Okay. And we, you started off mentioning that they nothing was announced for Imagination, no new pavilions for World Showcase. Yep. And I'm this gives me a chance to start off on a positive note. I think that's the right choice. Yep. Because the lands are the foundation upon which these attractions are built. And what, as we've discussed many times, there was just a lack of clear vision for this yes. place. They needed to explain to us what this place is and what it's going to become. And like it or love it, they've at least given us something. I'd say right. there's they've defined there's, it. They've defined areas yeah. in ways that I mean, celebration is a very broad topic, but discovery in nature, especially, makes sense. And I'm okay with you know, I Future World was always a very special place to me. I have a strong connection to it. I have a lot of memories there, kid. And mm-hmm. uh, there's part of me that is disappointed to see it go away. But the reality of it is, for the last five to ten years, it's been very clear. Excuse me, that Epcot that we knew was no more. Correct, and it wasn't sustainable. At least the part the company wasn't do, willing to do what it would what what it would take to have made it sustainable. So I think that it's important that they be truthful about what it is that they're going to provide in terms of an experience. And they weren't interested in providing an experience about the future. So to make it go away was the right choice. Were they ever? Was Future World ever not a misnomer? Um, cause I think the park has always been about discovery. I think, I think that is a more apt word to describe. I don't, I don't know how different those things are to be honest. Probably that, was actually, that was actually, but discovery can be history too. I, I agree. And I, and that, yeah. that's actually sort of where I was trying to, to meander to is that I feel like we haven't really lost the spirit of the future because it is, it's discovery that takes us there. Right. So to the extent that there's some technologically based attraction that they conceive of in the future, they've mm-hmm. left their pl- themselves with a place to put it. So I don't feel like they've wrote, you know, t- painted themselves in a corner, so to speak. And that, that makes me happy. And I would imagine that that had to be a driving force behind the decision. They wanted some flexibility here because what they really did in 1982 was create a design where the front half of the park was something that they, they couldn't keep current and because it was named Future World, it mm-hmm. you know immediately had a you know a datedness to it that was problematic. And they, I think they've I think they've addressed that. It was still uh, always a history lesson, though. I mean, you look at World of Motion, Horizons, and Spaceship Earth; they were yeah. consistently history lessons. Yeah, sure. Well, that's how you that's how you understand the future is to right. understand history, or at least how you shape it. So, you know, World Showcase has done remarkably well at at 
at remaining timeless and and desirable. Thank God. And uh, more Disney. Well, <laughs> not, not <laughs> he sure dropped that. I, I was cringing. Yes. Um, so all in all, I'm happy with with the change. I hate the the neighborhood moniker that actually makes my skin crawl. It reminds me of GeoCities from like 1996. Yeah. Um, because, well, I'll tell you why why I object to it so strongly is because. The credit that I want to give the company here is that they're calling these things what they're going to be. They're not neighborhoods. You know, it's like, I just, I don't think people connect to things being labeled as something that they're not. So whatever. I I saw that in the press release. I've seen it published all over online, but it does seem that the worlds themselves are going to be, have the word world there. They don't have the word neighborhood in them. So maybe that, that terminology will just go by the wayside. And that was a way of them expressing the, the, the scheme. That's what I'm hopeful for. In general, when you look at the term that I've was informed of, and when in my website redesign was taxonomy, the taxonomy of like how Disney labels things, they go land and then maybe area. And when you get to an area, that's where it could be classified as a a pavilion, or in the case of say Disney Springs, maybe a neighborhood, uh, or like a village over in the Animal Kingdom where Asia has a couple of different villages. So, I mean, we're arguing about semantics here about the broader label for what the land name is so we are but at the same time it's the aggregate effect of all these little details that set disney apart from everyone else who was doing this in the 50s when disney was built so i think it's important to be picky about it um and, and it's almost hard to explain how, how can that nomenclature matter um but it does and if it didn't we wouldn't have that system that disney cares about so in general uh do you guys do you guys like the names and like the division of future world into three separate areas that are distinct? I do. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not offended by that at all. I think we, we already had the two halves of future world and spaceship earth was kind of stuck somewhere in between both physically and I guess, emotionally in the way that the ride is, was created because you did have the more science side on uh, future world East and, a little bit more whimsy um, on, on the West, but there's yeah. obviously a science component on the, on the West as well. So um, I, I do like the definition of it. Uh, and we had said this before, we want some level of structure. We, we, we craved that and whether or not we agreed with what that structure might be, at least there seems to be a direction taken mm-hmm. here. I'd like so. to spend a little time talking about the actual aesthetics a bit. Okay. One thing they did, which I really like, and a lot of people probably don't care but they're going back to a cohesive set of pavilion logos, which I think mm-hmm. is very That's important. Cool. Yep. I don't hear anyone who was a fan of Epcot in the 80s or 90s or even the early 2000s that didn't love those icons. It right. gave a sense of where you were and what was around. It tied it all together. It really was an important part of that overall experience, which I, I'm really glad to see him going back to that. And I absolutely love the new logo. Right? Mm-hmm. I think... They did a very good job of modernizing it to where it's not just like, hey, we're going back to what we had, but it's aesthetically pleasing. It's going to appeal to people who have nostalgia for what the park used to be. Uh, but at the same time, it's also new and fresh. So I think that's really great as well. A leap away from what they did for Hollywood Studios, which yeah. I mean, <laughs> and this is this is very basic. This is a black and white logo. You're talking about just the words Epcot, right? Yep. Just the font that they chose. Yeah. Uh, very simple. Um, but they didn't have BB-8 rolling in. They didn't have uh, Moana. Just, hey, hey, just wait. In. Just uh, wait. You got you got Hey Hey popping out of the O. 
Uh, I mean, <laughs> no, that shit. I just, I just gave them ideas. <laughs> we, we did an epi- episode on Kingdom Cast about, which largely was about the Hollywood Studios logo. I mean, it, it's just I went on the for T is Mary Poppins minutes. umbrella. It's just, oh. <laughs> I, just delete this right now. <laughs> we can't. Bob, have I know you're listening. Public domain. So leading into this announcement and or the, this expo and 2017. Um, I, my, my question was like people ask what is considered this a success? And I said, if they don't fuck up Epcot, that's the success. And they didn't announce anything from a attraction standpoint that I think tears away at Epcot. And what they did do were aesthetic changes. And a lot of those, as Josh said, uh, at the very least look interesting. Uh, yeah. That new event pavilion looks interesting. It's one of the first new buildings, not just a facade. Like you got mission space. Right. And I actually like the mission space facade, but uh, what one of the things that separated Epcot Center away from Magic Kingdom is that you had 360 degree buildings that were interesting. Yep. You didn't necessarily have to like all of them. For example, I didn't like the World of Motion building, but at least was unique to to uh, from an architecture standpoint. So this new event pavilion is another unique 360 degree uh, building, which Future World hasn't seen since uh- it opened. I actually have an opinion that I think a lot of people would disagree with, but I'm going to double down on it. I've been honing in on understand it over the past few years, but I actually think that Epcot, unlike any other Disney park, is one where the attractions, the rides, at least I'm going to narrow that to rides, mm-hmm. are the least important part of that park. Um, I'd say Animal Kingdom also holds that, although it's shifted with Pandora. I'd say it's close, but I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I feel where you're coming from. But what Epcot had was it was an environment. Mm -hmm, So I I get it with Animal Kingdom as well, but there was an aesthetic there. There was architecture. There was design. There was this concept of planning and uncluttered-ness. And that just got eroded by degrees over years and years and years to where what the place needs really is attention and care. Mm -hmm. And it's a big part of why that event, or the new pavilion as they're calling it, but the event pavilion gives me a lot of hope because the one thing that they talked about is that its principal purpose, other than holding people where they can ostensibly sell them food and beverages and uh, fireworks viewing, they're going to search for shit, sell that. But but if you're going to build a, a key piece of architecture, whose purpose is to show off the park, what that tells me is that they have a lot of care and concern about what this park is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And, And that is pretty clearly not been the case and some easy yeah. picking ones to point out the awning in front of world of, or test track looks like crap the triangle awnings that are on the back of earth station look terrible it's mm-hmm. just cluttered mess it reeks of that 90s aesthetic which if you look at like 50s 60s 70s aesthetic there's some degree of timelessness to it i mean not completely but you see some vestiges of it that move forward um, you don't see that with the nineties, like that, the whole, like everything just being fluorescent and insane that, that the nineties, you know, uh, interior design and architectural aesthetic lasted a very short period of time. And then it just got completely eradicated. Like it never existed. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of that in Epcot and that's the stuff that I, I hope that they're going to get out of there. And and I, I find it, uh, interesting i'm happy that they're doing you know the full commitment on making so many changes because like you said so many things have been neglected over the years yet the architecture and that stuff still stood and it stood there as reminders and i find it interesting where um i don't you know don't necessarily do this with friends while we're in the parks or anything like that but with having young children that we go to that park 
And with it not being a great experience the last couple of years, having so many visual reminders, I, I, I caught myself many times on this last trip talking about what used to be here, telling my kids, this used to be here and it used to be really cool. Now it's an empty room and it sucks. Uh, this used to be here. This <laughs> used to be there. With them actually like doing so much uh, tearing down so many things and starting from the ground up, it's going to take away some of those memories that some of us held on to for so long that we had a hard time letting go. This will be that chance for them to, you know, start with a blank slate in certain areas of the park and give it that chance to become the new park uh, that we've been longing for and getting that care and attention and giving us something fresh in many areas. Well, I, I hope it's an evolved version of Epcot. And I, I, I hear what you're saying. And part of me agrees with it. And part of me also feels crappy at that notion. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's part of what the company's struggling with is that. Yeah. Or do they risk alienating like as much as they want to dismiss the nostalgic crowd as being not the customers are trying to serve. It's nonetheless a very large percentage of the people who are still hardcore fans of Epcot. So I suppose there is some risk that you take away something that is beloved, but at the same time, I think they've proven that they're either going to have to do that or just let the place rot. Right. I want to go to something that Josh said about Epcot being an experienced park. And I've, I've, agreed with that sentiment for quite some time, but uh, some of the new themes that they put out there, uh, the new themes for future world discovery and nature, that is 100% animal kingdom. Um, And they may be executing them in different ways where discovery, they're looking at it from a futurism standpoint. Um, Nature, I think some of the nature based experiences that they're putting in there could technically fit into the animal kingdom. I don't think it's that much of a leap to say living with a land could go into the animal kingdom. Well, the awesome or, planet it could be awesome planet. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, a presumably a diversionary film, but uh, still the sentiment uh, of those two parks, uh, they're, they're kind of sister parks. There there's, they, they absolutely there. are. Yep. There's a connection. And, the, and the connection is that they're both about the world. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, magic kingdom is absolutely not. It's about, literally everything that isn't in the world. I mean, that's what fantasy is, things that aren't right. real. And, and the studios are an extension of that. So I think those are, in a way, sister parks, although one is clearly superior than the right. other, at least has been. Um, but yeah, I mean... Studios. I, to, to some degree, I think that the the morphed version of Epcot that they're moving to is borrowing from some of the things that have worked at Animal Kingdom, which is to, uh, you know not date yourself and go with a more timeless direction by connecting with humanity, right? Right. And and humans experience in the world, which I think also is part of the reason why I'm going to talk about imagination again, real briefly. It's part of the reason that I think so many people, even if they couldn't articulate it, were so not only angry, but confused as to why they destroyed that pavilion. Because in a land where the biggest problem seemed to be, that the ideas were dated. They had one timeless attraction there about imagination, something that never grew old. And that's the thing that they changed. So, and that was corporate mandate by not Disney too, which is kind of laughable that like one of the things that was, should have been the creative epicenter of that park was dwarfed by a company that's since gone bankrupt. Yeah. Thanks Kodak. Yeah. And to be fair, they didn't announce anything for imagination, though, because they're still waiting on our episode where I give the scene by scene uh, layout <laughs> of my uh, inside out attraction. That's true. So, that is uh, I've been put on the back burner. Yep. 
So I'm I'm looking and my new, <laughs> my, my, my new website, I no longer have the dedication plaque up on the uh, Epcot page. So I was looking to pull that up. But a lot of those sentiments um, that we had talked about from the outset is uh, try to find a level of a unifying theme, whatever that may be. And if that was characters, well, we wouldn't necessarily be a fan of it. Um, we at least come up with a distinction. And I'm I am pleased with the fact that there's a direction. I think that, all right, we've we've set a roadmap. Now we need to kind of fill in, uh, fill in the gap, fill in the buildings there. Um, the aesthetic of the new event pavilion. I don't know if, uh, anybody on this podcast is, a uh, an, an architect, uh, expert, but, um, it's, nope. it appears to be unique and that is something that, uh, original Epcot center certainly had in spades or it appears to be like the world of Coke. One of the two could be, it could be. <laughs> And that very well could be where it's going to. Um, but. I think that if you can, there's so much emotion and sentiment that you can create when you produce an interesting, pleasant space. Uh, and it looks to me like that's what they're going for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, this, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about mission space, that this is an attempt to create a new, a new aesthetic there that is kind of almost paying tribute to what was there before. And if that's the goal here, success or failure, I at least applaud the effort here. Um, Cause I, I think the goal there is truly the ambition that we are like looking to see. To me, it looks like a sincere attempt. Like if you go back to the last D20, the Rorschach test that they produced. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. To me, the message was, okay, we know we've got to do something, but we don't have any clue what it is that we're going to do. Right, Whereas right. now we got some clarification. Here's what they're planning on doing. And overall, I think it's positive. So I pulled up the um, the dedication plaque, and we've got, to all come to this place of joy, hope, and friendship, uh, welcome. Epcot is inspired by Walt Disney's creative vision. Here, human achievements are celebrated through imagination, wonders of enterprise, and concepts of a future that promises new and exciting benefits uh, for all. The lands don't necessarily hit on that. It, the word discovery isn't in here. It says, but may Epcot entertain, inform, and inspire, and above all, may it instill a new sense of belief and pride in man's ability to shape a world that offers hope to people everywhere. So the a lot of the themes in that dedication plaque hit on World Showcase, which is remaining unchanged conceptually. Um, I think the the look forward towards the future that can be that can stem from discovery. Discovery, yep. Uh, celebration as a as a word is in itself rather broad uh, and nature, which, which is the beauty of it. Yeah. And I mean, y- you're also, uh, if so, depending on the, uh, uh, the argument that you're looking to frame, Josh, I've heard you say that some of those broad topics can also be equally as detrimental, but yeah. the thing that I took away from this, that was, it's, it's something small, but I harped on it in 2017. They, they said that Epcot is where uh, the real becomes fantastic and the fantastic becomes real. And I cringed at that because that's largely the very simplified version of the Magic Kingdom, not Epcot. And in this one, they dropped right. the second half. They just said Epcot is where the real becomes fantastic. And if that is again, if it's lip service, great, but I don't think I don't think enough people get that to recognize that as lip service. So I hope it is recognition that there is a distinction between the two, that this isn't Magic Kingdom 2.0. Well, Magic Despite Kingdom should be the opposite. That's right, exactly, fantastic. Exactly. So, I mean, 
there are obvious flaws with that argument. Frozen, the seas, and to a lesser extent, Grand Fiesta Tour, all kind of put in the fantasy and try to make the fantasy feel like reality. I have a solution. Okay. Okay. Go for it. Epcot is where the real becomes fantastic. Asterisk. And okay. then <laughs> at the bottom of the page, you just list all of the plus frozen. <laughs> yeah, plus frozen. And also <laughs> have a nice day. I'm still I'm still hung up a little bit on what Josh said earlier about, you know, the rides not necessarily being the the most important part of Epcot in the in the past. And I guess I'd never really looked at it that way, but there's there's a lot of truth in that, especially in the way that I've always experienced the park. It, Epcot was always the place where we could just wander around. Yeah. Like it yeah. wasn't like we have to get the next ride, the next ride. I could just spend time walking around and everything that they showed here just gave me a very pleasant feeling. And it feels like they're going to put those pleasant areas back in the park because that's, I, I don't think anybody could describe Epcot as being pleasant the last several years. No. There's so much dead space. There's so much that just looks terrible. I uh, think you could. I, you could I, roll around World Showcase. And- World Showcase, you could, for sure. I think that the Magic Kingdom is a place where there's a whole bunch of great rides and mm-hmm. the setting is pleasant. Uh, to me, Epcot is a place where you can go and spend time in a really pleasant place and there's rides there. Yep, I agree. And and, and I think by the stuff that they showed, I, I have that gut feeling that we're getting back there. I've actually felt guilty on our last couple trips because we'll go for like 10 days at a time and literally the last two trips, if we've spent more than one day in Epcot, I I might be lying to you. We've spent so little time in that park just because we haven't felt like we've needed to be be there. And I've almost felt like I've been cheating on Epcot uh, because we'll (laughs) we'll go do something else. We've spent more time at Disney Springs because we've had more time just wandering around that area. There's better food there. There is. And uh, so everything just seemed hopeful. While there wasn't maybe those big blockbuster announcements of things going into the park, the small stuff were enough for me to get excited about the direction and, and uh, what we're going to be experiencing there soon. Uh, and it'll get even better once we find out where world of Frappuccino is and the Starbucks opens <laughs> up. I think we have a, a positive step in the right direction. I don't know that we need to uh, sing the full on praises of it because we are, we are in the first step of a 20 step process. And the devil is going to be in the details. I mean, the difference between them creating an incredible environment and them completely destroying Epcot, those are probably, it's probably not a huge difference. Probably not. You know, and and the, the scale of what they're doing is big enough, I think in some regards to where if they screw it up, it's going to be permanent. You know, they're, they're building new structures. They're, you know, it's the sort of thing where if it goes poorly, it could be really bad. Well, it would be interesting because they've done such a good job of lowering the bar over the last few years <laughs> that it, it, honestly, like the, it could be a very, I don't know, middle of the road things that they end up opening up. But because we've had such bad experiences uh, for a little while now, how, what will the response be that we're just happy to get something uh, new and fresh in those areas? I yeah. mean, that's, that's yeah. been their approach where they, they'll neglect to the point where if you replace it with anything, yep, it's it's a positive. But I want to go back to uh, to Josh's point on... Epcot being more of an experienced park. And I think the the way to best represent that is the amount of planning that is required to go to the other parks uh, yeah. from a fast pass planning standpoint to um, to a dining planning standpoint. With Epcot, yes, you absolutely have people that go there that have dining reservations. That is a very big component of that park. But I think the navigation of Epcot uh, and to a lesser extent Animal Kingdom 
is less dictated by your fast pass reservations um, relative to say Hollywood studios or the magic kingdom where uh, you jump from ride to ride. And historically the grassy family has treated Epcot like it is the magic kingdom where we do just jump from ride to ride. We'll hop over there at five thirty, six o'clock, knock out a few things and maybe grab dinner. Um, but I think when it's Marie and myself going, or I'm going with friends, we then take a step back and we can enjoy things. We can spend two or three hours in world showcase and maybe not go on a ride. Uh, and those are the types of things that the park lends itself to. But uh, I think it needs to have that balance and they are adding new attractions. They are adding Ratatouille and guardians and uh, whatever the Mary Poppins attraction may be. I think that because it has that infrastructure of being an experience driven park, as opposed to a ride driven park, um, when the rides come, it can make that park back to number two in Florida again. But as it stands right now, even with these changes, what's been announced, uh, when Rise of the Resistance opens, I think it's still going to be the fourth best park in Florida. I think that's a, uh, despite how we framed it as a uh, park that's intended for exploration, it will certainly have the weakest attraction lineup. And yeah, I mean, I think you have to. For you have to factor that in. the circle of us who who love theme parks and care about Epcot, these changes are not ones that are going to cause people to change their vacation plans. No. Right. No. Right. So I think you can look at that. And when I say um, Epcot is the worst of the four Florida parks, it's still one of the few places in the world. There's no few places that I'd rather be. The other ones just happen to also be Disney parks. So it's kind of a it's a means of shitting on it, but uh, we're, we're picking apart the flaws by measuring it up against things that we think are just that much better. So that, be, that being said though, how much more meat do you think's on the bone uh, for this park that hasn't been announced yet? It does seem like they didn't get nearly everything out there that they're planning to do oh, there. They clearly and, even, didn't. and even in the model that, you know, there were hints of things to possibly come. And one of it was in the, in the attraction poster with Mary Poppins, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, they did announce something was going in with Mary Poppins. You had the model that had the large uh, uh, guitar from Coco leaning against the pyramid from in Mexico. What do you guys think? How much how much more do we have coming our way that could possibly put this in that upper echelon of parks again? We're just uh, sitting on those announcements. I think they they did announce a Spaceship Earth update. Um, don't get me wrong. Spaceship Earth is. It's it's probably my favorite attraction in in uh, in Epcot. Uh, I do like Soren a lot, even the new Soren. But I think that if there is a way that they can modernize that and still keep the same vein of Spaceship Earth there, uh, an update to that with more impressive effects to accompany the major animatronic updates that happened uh, less than a decade ago, or actually at this point, gosh, it's probably been a decade. Yeah. Um, however long uh, uh, the Judy Dench version has existed. Um, strengthening that signature attraction for the park, uh, adding in the substantial update that is needed to imagination and adding in another world showcase pavilion is a pretty darn good step in the right direction. However, don't forget the play pavilion. The, the play pavilion kind of feels like what interventions was going to evolve into. Um, where, all right, this is going to be a place where we put characters in it. And if we largely concentrate characters in that area, I understand the characters need to be in Epcot. So if that's the solution where like 
I'm right, fine with that. Yeah, yep. we can we can cordon it off. And if that's the character cage, then I'm yeah. good to go. Yep. Um, so if that gives, and I don't know how much time you guys spent in Communicore and interventions growing up, Quite doing a, a variety bit. of things, a ton. So if that's the interactive play area for kids where you're not necessarily learning too much, but in theory you could be, um, then, then that's, that's how it's going to work. Well, I, um, I even, I need the ability for us to bend on some of these things. I miss the old interactive exhibits that were in wonders of life. I remember doing all those yep. uh, bunches of kids. So yeah, th- those kind of things are uh, sorely missed. And hopefully we do get some of those elements back in that pavilion. And I think that very well may be, it's a combination of the interactivity of wonders of life and communicor yeah. and interventions. Um, and, if they're doing that with characters, uh, that's an okay uh, solution for me, especially if they're also cycling through new exhibits on a regular basis. So um, I don't really have a huge issue with that. Uh, sure, I prefer it to be sponsored by our modern day geniuses and have Elon Musk kind of doing things, but it's not really the reality of what's going on. The sponsorship model doesn't really happen to that extent anymore. So uh, we're talking an upga- updated Spaceship Earth. Uh, Brazil Pavilion that likely won't have an attraction and a an updated imagination. Um, that's a pretty darn good uh, starting point. I still think it's probably a major attraction or or two short, even after Guardians and Ratatouille as well. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Uh, yeah, I think I, if if there is a new World Showcase Pavilion going in, I know some have talked about there not being an attraction going in as part of it, but. Mm-hmm. It, I think it would be crazy not to add a uh, major attraction, especially if it goes on that side of the world showcase where there's not a lot going on uh, attraction wise right now. I think it's a good place to pull some people away. Uh, if you add that in there to go on with what's going on and they do do those updates, to, you know, imagination and stuff, we could be looking at a really, you know, substantial increase in, in, in capacity and the stuff that we, uh, we want to do in that part. Yeah. I yeah. almost feel like maybe they don't want to change a hundred things at once. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, but they've done a piecemeal for 30 years. Why stop now? Well, and I, yeah, I mean, you could take that cynically. Or you could take it differently, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I mean, one reason is how much construction can you do in a park at the same time? Anyway, you, you know, right. you're, you're going to make it hell for the next five years if you try and do everything at once. But beyond that, once I, I look at this sort of, I'm calling it an aesthetic change, but it's really more than that. I think it's a, they've kind of laid down a blueprint on top of this property and said, here's what we've got to work with. And they're, they're, you know, they're shifting things around. They are, you know, they're redoing the entrance, which doesn't seem huge, but it is. They're demolishing Communicore West, which doesn't seem like a huge deal, but it is. It's going to transform the traffic flow in that park. It's going to transform the places where people hang out, where people, you know, and I think that they're going to learn a lot just by watching what crowds do in this new space. And that would be valuable information to know, um, you know, before they decide where they're going to invest a hundred or two hundred million dollars on a new e-ticket attraction, because they could oh, yeah, very well put it in the wrong place. There's going to be enough investment in just as Josh said, the layout of things, and the fact that there's a new ride opening in 2020 and a new ride opening in 2021 that's already under construction. So that's going to affect things as well. We are we're talking about this as if they already don't have two rides uh, in development. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's very much the case. I expect as well, and this is pure spitballing here that when Ratatouille opens, that's when spaceship earth closes and however long it takes. And it very well could be two years. Um, 
that they at least get some of the uh, ride capacity back and pulling people to the back of the park away from that entrance area. But um, I, I could see they close off Spaceship Earth and they kind of make a, uh, a demolition of interventions done piecemeal where you're still given a pathway there, um, but they'll like have to clear out one side of interventions and you've got that breezeway and then I you demo the breezeway. So you get your walkthrough and then you probably build your journey of water attraction. I think that building will come down incredibly quick. I okay. do. If you look at construction videos of it, it is an extremely hollow building. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if that, I know that sounds weird because m- buildings are obviously hollow, but there's not a lot of like inter it's, it's basically just open space. So I'm actually feel- thinking backwards. now. I think they actually probably get the part closest to uh, world showcase first and then work toward the entrance. Yeah. And I mean, again, we don't know how this is going to actually happen, but I'm thinking that because they announced that walkthrough, the journey of water Moana walkthrough, that's going towards the front of the park that they're probably going to want an ability to walk around something that they're building. So you need to clear out the back of the park for, is that going where fountain of nations is now? No, no. So uh, the journey of water walkthrough is you, you go out of spaceship earth, head towards future world West and so that's kind of roughly where Art of Disney is, but okay, it looks like it's going to be closer to Spaceship Earth than the Breezeway, and that's roughly where that's going to be, and it's going to connect to the seas with Nemo and friends. So okay, gotcha. That makes. I sense. also think that it's possible the seas uh, that Nemo gets evicted from the seas. That there there may be a rare removal of IP uh, when all is said and done. But if you look at uh, how Future World is set up, and I'm going to refer to it as Future World until they tell me not to anymore, um, the Seas with Nemo and Friends is one of the uh, oldest pavilions without an update, um, other than maybe like a, a small ad for finding Dory to Turtle Talk with Crush. But like Mission Space received an update. Uh, you had a new video in the Imagination Pavilion. Pretty much everything else has received updates. The Lands got updated to their movies recently. So you think that the removal of Nemo would be to direct that pavilion more back toward nature in line with the I hope area? so. I hope so. Because the Nemo story there, yes, it takes place in the uh, uh, the tanks there, which are the effect of Nemo in the tanks is a it's cool effect. Good, actually, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's not, there's nothing tying that to nature. So Nothing, nope. And whether this is the approach they take, we don't know. But they have now the rights to National Geographic. Um, in theory, they could make that uh, truly scientific and also use uh, a property that they uh, recently gained. Um, and yes, National Geographic may be better suited for the animal kingdom, but they're kind of blurring the lines between what's acceptable in Epcot and the animal kingdom here. So. And- that's why I'm okay with them doubling down on Nemo and adding Crush's coaster between the land and the uh, seas from uh, Paris. So, but I, 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 well, not to bust your bubble or anything though, but I did read a report that the seas and the land are both getting demolished. So I did hear that. I did hear that. And that source has been a hundred percent right for everything they put out ahead. Of Pretty much confirmed that that's getting announced. So smartest uh, guy he's ever met. Just ask him. One th- one thing we haven't touched on, and I have not too. It seems like this has been kind of put to the side, actually, uh, with all the other Epcot news. But uh, based on some conversations that we've had on previous shows, and we now have an official name for the Guardians roller coaster. Yes, and the word rewind is insanely intriguing to me because yes, we've I'm all right there with you. Yeah, we've talked about is this where we're going to see some old Epcot, and if yep. 
that rewind word is just screaming out that yes, this you're going to see everything that we're kind of you know either getting rid of, taken away that we've lost over the years. This is going to be the pavilion where you're going to see some of this back. And fan service or not, I'm I'm interested. I'm glad that they went with the word rewind because the working title had the word junkyard in it. They <laughs> decided not to use. So this was a good one. I I hope that this had been a plan for the title for quite some time because the original title that leaked was infinite universe. And we had talked about this when we talked about universal uh, last episode yeah. where yes. All right. You're in the universe of energy pavilion using the word uh, universe is not exactly um, trademarked, but the fact that they would be opening something a year or two ahead of universal opening universal's epic universe uh that the Department of Redundancy Department over at Universal uh, would also be that much more exaggerated by Disney opening a ride that shared a similar name anyway. For They should have just named the park Epcot's World of Epcot. Yes, they should have. <laughs> um, Epcot's World of Experimental Prototype Communities of Tomorrow. Yeah. So, so with that epic rewind, it could mean a multitude of different things. It doesn't even necessarily, I and mean, we could be reading too far into this. It could yep, just be a name. for sure. Because uh, they did say that it's a backward launch, it's, and that yep. could be the only thing that it's referring to. Yep. Um, what we know about the ride is very little. We know that uh, Disney has dubbed it the Zandarian Outpost. Um, we know that historically, any Marvel-based attraction in a Disney park is set in that Disney park. The mm-hmm. uh, the logic of it is there, so mm-hmm. it will at least be self-referential to Epcot. And they pointedly said that Peter Quill uh, visited Epcot as a kid. All of that kind of checks out. Yep. Now. Uh, in Disneyland or Disney California Adventure, there is a throwaway line on Mission Breakout where at the top of the tower, Rocket looks out and he says, Disneyland, that's thematically inconsistent. Yep. We could get a simple throwaway line and that's it. It could just be a single piece of lip service. It could be uh, Star-Lord saying something to the effect of, hey, this doesn't look like what I remember as a kid. Where's the ugly orange building? Something like that that's almost denigrating to it. It could be something like that. Or uh, we could see a queue that has tributes to classic Epcot. We could see them actually travel through time and visit classic Epcot, or we could see it be like timekeeper and have it be more in the spirit of classic Epcot without actually looking at classic Epcot, where you have elements of it, where you're traveling through space, you're traveling through time. All of those things kind of feel, feel like it could be classic Epcot. So friendly wager is buzzy going to be in the queue. <laughs> or, or elsewhere in the attraction, or was he stolen? <laughs> uh, I think he was stolen, but I could also see them just reproducing it um, yeah. to possibly eliminate any of those uh, uh, rumors around it. But right. I, I think we're going to see uh, some fan service in the queue and maybe a little bit in the ride, but I also that, expect it to be its own thing. That ride's that show building is so big that there there's so many things that they could do. Uh, I'd love to see them take a chance in really fanboy out and i mean what if they recreated a scene from world emotion that you just shot by it would be the I, it'd be oh, ridiculously absolutely. cool they've got the uh, room to do it. i mean you could package up like you could box up a four pack of spaceships or earths in that yep. building yeah yeah and you can get those at costco but the, yeah. um <laughs> i do I, I like the person that put the target logo on oh. that show building and, <laughs> and said that's where the target's going that was uh that was pretty awesome I would be surprised if we didn't hear classic cop music, at least around that pavilion. Um, Good. Oh, another positive thing. That song that they played. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
So I was going to ask you that. So you guys, I thought it was a beautiful piece of music. I was walking on the way out uh, and saying, I'm always impressed by something that I know that I can't do myself. Like I'd yep. like to think that I'm a moderately intelligent person, but if somebody has a, uh, another talent that is exhibiting of their intelligence and they can show that off in a way that I understand, I don't have to fully understand everything they're doing, but I can at least appreciate right. it. I don't know. I don't know what goes into a good song, but I know one mm-hmm. when I hear it. Yeah. Having said that, did it feel a little bit like a funeral march? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we've made that joke before, and primarily because it's true. And I think it yeah. remains to be true. But I think that we'll, uh, this is sort of deja vu from our last episode, but I think we will attach that song to Epcot once we hear it there. Sure. If, if this revised version of the park is a place we love being and we hear that in there, it, that problem it, we're fixed instantly. Right, right. Um, and it did seem to me to be the right kind of music there's a certain cadence and tone to it and again i don't i don't understand enough about music to describe anything about it but it there's a feeling i get when i listen to it there's also a song they play at panera bread that feels that way to me um but it <laughs> it's just always feels overly like dramatic epcot music has historically been over overly yeah. dramatic i'd say with the exception of maybe the interventions loop which is very mm-hmm. well for <laughs> atmospheric stuff but if you go back and we probably all have the album or at least mp3s of the album that uh opened with that park that entry area music for that was wildly dramatic um Mm -hmm. to to kind of be that opening score for it so this fit that bill but i would say at the outset it did feel like a bit like a funeral march um but i i certainly appreciated the music and it's not going to be the only piece of music in epcot they're still going to have things that we that we already know and presumably have additional new music as well but uh i was pleased by that and appreciate when they uh, are doing things to the extent of recognizing music is important, uh, that it's not just about building a ride, not just about the aesthetics of new buildings, that all, all of the senses are important. So It'll be a nice mix of uh, music like that and uh, songs off the awesome mix volume one soundtrack from Guardians. I would nice be surprised if that's over seven- there. 70s rock in the uh, Boner Jams Volume (laughs) 7. So we hit on a few other things, but I think the big thing for all of us is Spaceship Earth. So they showed some concept art there. They didn't release the high-res version of that concept art. Uh, And some people are dissecting one of the particular pieces as looking like Moana on her boat and the, uh, the manta ray thing flying overhead. Did you guys see that or did you see something else? I didn't see it. Okay. Ben? I did not see that. Okay. So the impression that I got was that uh, they may they may not have a celebrity narrator taking you through the ride. They pointedly said that there is going to be some sort of spirit light or story light that's going to take you through the ride. And with it being a linear connected uh, train of vehicles, I don't know that you can have your own individual story light to uh to to carry you along because you're going to have to have one for each vehicle and that just doesn't work but um the impression that i got on that particular scene was that this was just a continuation of that story light and we were looking at the phoenician scene um but if i'm wrong and they put moana in here and the dinosaur you name your disney attraction and they retrofit it into spaceship earth then that is 100 a tone deaf gesture uh, yep. i just don't think that's what they're doing I, yeah, I, I try not to get to Zapruder film on this stuff because mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, it's not a blueprint. It, it's concept art. It's a concept. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it's really hard to look at it and infer what they're actually intending to do. 
I'm hoping that they do release that out full high res because really we're resigned to um, the photos that were taken during the presentation. So, uh, and they were animated as well. So we'd have to look at somebody that probably had like a 10K video of it to see. Uh, sorry, 10K, 4K. I invented a new, <laughs> uh, a new uh, uh, resolution. Maybe they had two and a half of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had two and a half, whatever. But I am cautiously optimistic about the Spaceship Earth update. They're doing something at the end of that as well, which also lends me to believe that we're looking at a year and a half to two years for the closure uh, because it looks like they're getting rid of the uh, the post-show area, at least that concept, tearing that building down and building a new one. Um, so I'm fine with that. I don't think we had a overly emotional attachment to that particular area. There's a couple of arcade-type games in there, um, and my nephews like playing in there, but if there's either new activities elsewhere or the replacement is something different, then so be it. That's what we, that's what we look for. I don't think any of that was sacred. Um, I, I like the building just because it, you know, it's original. Yeah. You can still get that. Some of that 1982 musk off the walls, but um, you know, I think, so I, I always get turned around cause you walk, as you walk, oh, in, I definitely do. it's because it's backwards, right? So you walk, under spaceship earth and you go into the entrance Mm -hmm. and then when you ride the vehicle when you go up into the actual structure you're going back the opposite way right i believe so yes so the earth station then is that what you're in is that is that what's between spaceship earth and the lagoon or is that on the other side it is what's between spaceship earth and the lagoon okay that's what i thought that building and that's where the vip lounge is above that right Yeah, yeah yeah okay so that's where those stupid awnings are that I hate. I'm willing to lose this whole building just to get rid of those awnings. That's basically what I'm <laughs> yep, what I'm yep. getting to here. And but they're going to keep at, those supports for the awnings because they look like toaster supports. So they're going <laughs> to steel coaster B and M awnings, and they're the, just going to call it kinetics. Yeah the, uh, the the artwork that I see shows what it left definitely looks to be an elongated, more oval shaped extension under Spaceship Earth on that side. Yep. So yeah, and no awnings. Right, and they they called that Dreamers Point. Uh, that is where they're going to put uh, Walt Disney taking a dump on the steps. Woo-hoo! Um, we call that going full Shanghai, but uh, that's going to be a new statue. And I believe one of us on the show did do a, uh, a lovely illustration that perhaps we put as the uh, the graphic <laughs> for the show. <laughs> you have to send me that. I worked hard on that. I do like the idea of another statue in um uh, in a park. Uh, I like what they did in California Adventure, where they came up with a different take on the partner statue uh, with a younger Walt and a younger Mickey. And uh, doing this here, where he's fatigued, kind of in a stand up <laughs> pose. Uh, <laughs> he's like, they got it all wrong. Yep. He's going to look out and snap his fingers. A few <laughs> things are going to turn to dust. But I, I did like the, uh, the idea of it. That's another one where they didn't actually put out the full concept art of it for some reason. But and was it, wasn't there some uh, wishing tree or something as well? I, I... Yeah, so one of the other aesthetics in uh, World Discovery, or sorry, World Celebration, rather, was what appeared to be the missing plants from Pandora that would interact <laughs> like a, a tree. And then there was some other exhibits that kind of looked like the Discovery Island Carnival in, um, in Animal Kingdom. But looks like they're going to uh, focus celebration on some outdoor interactivity, which... I've, I have zero issue with, I mean, some of the stuff that I remember as a kid was playing in the imagination pavilion, both inside and out. Those types of interactive things were, uh, how I wanted to spend my day more than even going on rides. So 
It can be, you know, touching things like the pin tables that are uh, home to thousands of communicable diseases. They'll find a new thing for you to touch. Uh, and communicable core. Yes, communicable core. That's a great name for it. I think with uh, with with uh, the journey of water, that's self cleaning, so they don't have to worry about <laughs> diseases there. So uh, uh, back to my question about some of the name choices here. It, uh, is it like? The actual journey that the water itself takes, is that what that's about? Pretty much. That's the impression that I got where okay. uh, there it does seem like there'll be a scientific component to it. I think okay. they're going to probably try to reproduce some of the animated movements of water that took place in Moana. And I wouldn't be surprised to see like... Movement uh, one, spilling. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see like info boards with Moana characters on it. That's my guess as to what the integration is going to be other than the Moana logo set of it. Um, but I, it, it also might be home to like some meet and greets where they might have them on one of the trails, but um, I don't, I'm not expecting this to be uh, a Moana. It's, it's certainly not going to be a Moana ride. They described it as a walkthrough. This sucks. I can't make a mo- uh, meet and greet joke when you say it's actually going to be part of the attraction. I'm not sure I follow. I was going to make a joke that this was going to be so unpopular. It'll just eventually be a meet and greet. And okay, you're got thinking, it. you're thinking right away, meet and greet. You can, you can save that for Mary Poppins. So, <laughs> uh, they gave us the name, but not much in the way of details for the 2020 fireworks show. And they did explicitly say that Harmony Us is coming in 2020. Um, Don't like that name. It's, uh, yeah. But at it's the same time. so corny. Let's rewind 20 years ago was Illuminations that created a name. Yes. And we've got, we've got that and, <laughs> and a company uh, named after it as well. So but they didn't do anything shitty with the spelling. I mean, they, that's you know. true. I mean, that this screams like it's a five year run and that's it. Yeah. Whereas uh, Illuminations was a gosh, 20 year run. This is like run? the name of a like discount store at a dying mall. <laughs> I just, uh, I, don't, I hate that. Like just, Look how clever we are. We capitalized the last two words because that's also, or the last two letters because they're also a word. This worked. Like. Uh, and by the way, is it us as in you and I, or is it us as in the United States? I assume it's you and I, but I think that you're sending a confusing message, uh, you know, to the world with that. Well, we can assume both ways and just assume that us as the United States is a uh, just superior, superior area. <laughs> well, they, they did say okay. Sam, they did say Sam Eagles, the narrator of the show. So a salute to all nations, but mostly us. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other takeaways, any other name objections to what they did for Epcot? Well, let me check my notes. I'm excited. Raditz oh, yes. opening uh, next summer. The yeah. Play Pavilion. Excuse me, I pronounced it wrong. The play pavilion. Yes, they uh, bolded and exclamation pointed. Yes, yes. that's a verb. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exclamation pointed. I don't like that name. I didn't like it when I first heard it last D23, I think it was. Uh, uh, I believe it was between the two, but they okay. called it a temporary name and then made it perfect by it's, capitalizing it and exclamation pointing it. Yeah, I, I really think that I could contribute some value to them on how to name things. Okay. Let's... Uh, yeah. All right, come up with come up with one better, and you have thirty seconds, and I think you can probably do it being put on the spot. Well, I don't know what the pavilion actually is. That's the it's problem. A play pavilion, obviously, <laughs> anything but that. Move it twenty, 20 seconds. Dancers. <laughs> what's it? What's its purpose? Let's boil it down to the essence. I'll go through the creative processes right now. Real time imagineering. Here we go. Uh, so let's see. Uh, its purpose is to entertain children. 
Okay. Uh, primarily using Through, characters that they're familiar with. Okay. And, inter- and interactive experiences. Okay. It seems like it seems like you will be actively partaking in. I each feel like we're arbitrarily world. trying to adhere to this thirty second window that I put in, and we're rushing through these. Okay, I've got one that's equally bad. <laughs> okay. Lowercase enter, uppercase active pavilion. Okay. Done. There you it go. Sucks. Not it's it's longer than they both suck and play is shorter, so I guess play wins. And okay. add uh, add us at the end. Yeah, I was trying to think of something I could do that with, but I didn't. <laughs> Disastrous. We'll, crowdsource, <laughs> we'll crowdsource that. We need a new name for the play pavilion. We need a name for the event pavilion. And a new Disney name. Disney actually does need a name for the event pavilion. That's so. true. That's true. <laughs> it's going to be called Play Pavilion 2.0 or Play Pavilion it, Plus. Club Cool. There you go. There you go. I think you can look at something like that. What if you just called it Communicore? I mean, yes, it's uh, bastardizing I, I, what the name was before. But I don't hate that. Yeah. I mean, why not? So, and they've already got the logo. That'll save them like eighty nine bucks right there. Yep. Well, we've got a new logo for the Play Pavilion. But yeah, I mean, they. It seems like that is the name that they're going to go with. Although when they indicated that they were going to potentially change the name, so I just hope that uh, Pavilion, it, the 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 uh, the nameless one, uh, ends up being something that everybody can experience and enjoy though. It does scream like upcharge events in corporate areas and stuff. I'm really worried that we're the common Epcot guest is going to have access to the first floor and we're going to be staring up at the second and third floor going, man, that looks really awesome, but I don't want to pay the $89. It cost me to go up there and watch the fireworks from there tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm worried that, uh, while as cool as it looks and sounds, uh, it just screams, moneymaker for them yeah yeah absolutely uh do we have anything else on epcot or any other d23 takeaways uh just my the only thing i wanted to mention that i didn't is that i am very excited about the return of the entrance to its more pure form without the tombstones probably said I think before we the show are, yeah. i mean i've seen some shots over the wall from the monitor on that um one thing that i hadn't seen any artwork on or heard anyone talk about was what they were actually doing with the fountain. I mean, I knew they were going back to the pillar look, yeah. but if you recall, they it used to be like a blue tiled kind of look, and then they glued all those rocks to it. And right. you know, and it, I don't know, I never thought it really looked particularly good. Um, but I've seen a few photos, and that's all been stripped away. So it looks like they're going back to the sort of bare concrete aesthetic. And it also, by the way, seems like they're doing that in Tomorrowland, um, which is kind of ties back to what I said that I think there's some decades old architecture architectural aesthetics that have shown themselves to be a little more enduring than others. And I, th- I think we're sort of circling back to that. So I'm kind of excited for that. They did put out that piece of concept art that shows those, I don't know if they're an acrylic or a glass fins that went up in the middle of that uh, fountain. Yeah. And I definitely remember that as a kid. Um, so I like that they're bringing something like that back and it's a small thing. It really is, but uh, it, 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 uh, it brings back memories of an Epcot that I liked. And it's not bringing back a ride by any means, but it's still an aesthetic that I think was an improvement that they got rid of that. Well, yep. not an easy change. It's a, it's an easier change than say, bringing back a full on ride. Yep. So. It, it means more to me than it probably should, but nonetheless, uh, it makes me very happy to see. Uh, I'm excited to see the rainbow tunnel returning to the Odyssey in the preview area. Yes, I don't believe that was in the concept art either. I It was reported by a website that that was definitely going back in there. Breaking confirmed. Uh, uh, I, is Michael Jackson going to be in it? 
Yes. I, I am excited that the Odyssey is being used, though, during this whole time. Any any excuse to get inside that building uh, makes me happy. So uh, I, I'll be uh, very excited to go in there on uh, the next trip. It looked like the model, and I use that term very loosely, that they have at D23 Expo is probably going to be at the center of that experience center mm-hmm. that, they're, yeah. that they're building and perhaps with projection mapping or just different lighting on it, but it looked to be very similar to what they had. And something that I was told about is that as early or as recently as Wednesday prior to D23 Expo is that part of that model included a UK model of Cherry Tree Lane and uh, Mary Poppins, but for some reason that was pulled out. So Wonderful. I don't know why Wonderful. that is, but... One of us called it that that was going in back there, right? Yeah, I think uh, one of us uh, called that. Yeah, and we were the only ones too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready for I'm ready for another carousel in the parks. Before we close, I have a, uh, a rather sentimental story, but I figured that I'd uh, uh, throw it out there. So when I was waiting for the studios presentation, um, we uh, we crap on Disney a lot. We uh, yeah, we still go back. There's clearly reasons for it. And a lot of these things are those uh, uh, moments that people experience. So I was waiting for the studio's presentation, and there was a gentleman behind me in line who uh, is a lawyer, but he did work with children on the spectrum. So anybody that knows my family knows that's kind of right up my alley. So he told the story of a girl with autism whose favorite character was Cinderella. I'd say probably like four or five years old. Uh, She went to the parks dressed like Cinderella, may have had a bibbidi-bobbidi boutique visit. Excuse me, I don't remember. So she meets Cinderella and is talking with her about being a princess, really just kind of loving every second of it, babbling to to Cinderella. Uh, Cut over to their mother, or the girl's mother. She's in the corner weeping at the scene. And the cast member asks mom what's going on. And mom says, she's never spoken before. Wow. Yeah. So that was a test. And uh, Derek and Chris failed. They're heartless. Ben, uh, you're kind of indifferent, Josh. You at least have a soul. <laughs> I no. told the exact same story on the other show and crickets. I was Nothing. moved. I don't know why you say I'm soulless. Yeah. No, no. I'm, I know. I, I said Derek and uh, Derek and Chris are soulless. Oh, I, was, I, I was reaching for a tissue, which obviously I know you can't see in a podcast. So yeah. I'll just explain my. I already uh, had a tissue because, as I mentioned, I'm not wearing pants. Oh God. That makes sense. So, uh, <laughs> no, I, I had heard that. And as a guy was telling it to me, I didn't, you know, well up then and there. I was like, That's a pretty damn powerful thing. And we we talk about little things on this show and details that mean something to us. But something like that is so much more impactful than anything we discuss on this show. Well, um, and yeah, no, there's no I, doubt about that. I, I've talked about it before. I mean, like when when I was working in the parks, especially at the Jungle Cruise, my favorite thing to do was like with with Make a Wish and when yeah. Gabe Kinsler will come through. And honestly, the reason like I I've, I want to retire out there. My wife and I have both talked about it, and that's the main reason is to work work with groups like that and being in being in spots in the parks where you can help provide that magic and that moment to those sure. to to those people. Uh, I lived for that stuff while I worked out there. And it's the thing I absolutely miss the most uh, from, from my time working in the parks is that, that it's so special and uh, totally get what you're saying there. Yeah. So I, that, that kind of hit me and I wanted to share the story and I get crapped on for a lot of the stories that I tell on a, on ETIC report, usually because they're about 10 times longer than that. But <laughs> uh, I figured that I'd share that one. And in part for selfish reasons, I do have an autistic brother and Disney means a ton to him. So 
Uh, yep. When no. when that uh, when I heard that story, I had to had to share it. No, I think I mean, and not to in any way diminish the impact of that story. I think it is important, but if you take a step back and think, you've got three grown men here that get together yep. between once a month and twice a year to talk about these parks. Right. It's because they are a remarkable thing, and that it's you know these rides are machines, uh, the pathways are made of concrete. Their trees just like are planted everywhere else, but somehow they're put together in a way uh, that leaves a lifelong impression on people. And I think that's that's the whole point. So I think if we miss that uh, and and miss over looking at opportunities to where that impact is, you know, exponentially greater, like in a case of that story, that that's what it's all about. So absolutely, that's awesome. And this is where I put in because we don't have drops in this show. The NBC, the more you know, chime. So I'll put that. In <laughs> suck it Derek and Chris (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's going to wrap this show if you have any questions or topic ideas we will ignore them but you email them (laughs) gmail.com you can also follow us on Twitter under the username at Marty called or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Marty called we'd also like to uh, tell our listeners to book our <laughs> I'm reading this and then screwing it up. I also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate link over on martycalled.com. Doesn't cost you anything, but helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make anyway. Uh, ben, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at real skipper Ben, and you can find my skipper Ben top 10 column in every ep- uh, issue of attractions magazine. Uh, Josh, a magazine is the internet like uh, a month later and printed out on paper. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Josh, where can we find you online? Uh, Browsers.com forward slash Epcock. Um, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not true. Uh, Utilidors.com, door like the one you walked through because I spelled it wrong when I bought the URL. But I got some nice Epcot merch there and I'm going to be launching a new line of exciting products coming soon. So stay tuned. If you spell it that. correctly, it actually redirects to www.themeparks.com. <laughs> and from your from your first webpage, I really like that monorail girl video. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I. I'll let my mother know that you approve of her work. <laughs> Kids, don't Google that at work. <laughs> and on that note, see you later. Sayonara. Peace. ideas Epcot was founded on, and I'm honored to contribute to the long legacy of original music that has defined this park. Join me 
as we usher in the next era in Epcot's musical journey. Thank <laughs> you.